Thank you, worship team. Well, good morning. Um, I'm Nathan Brand, and I have the privilege to be the lead pastor here at Berean Community Church. And we're so glad you're here to worship with us. Before I say anything more, I want to dismiss children for Children's Church. That's ages 4 through 1st grade, and they can follow Pastor Neil, our next-gen pastor, out the north door. And he's got some great stuff for our kids, so you guys can head on out. But here at uh, Berean, if you know where that name comes from, it's out of Acts chapter 17. And in verse 11, it says, the Bereans, which we call ourselves, were more noble than the Thessalonians because they received the message, that is the message of the gospel, with eagerness. And they searched in the word to see that these things were so. And that has been a hallmark of the Berean Fellowship. We're part of a larger fellowship of about 57 churches that a majority of them are in uh, Nebraska area, but they go as far out as California and Oregon. And actually, Pastor Neil and myself were out there uh, a couple weekends ago. And uh, as far south as Tennessee and uh, Kentucky. And then we are the easterly border. We are the easterly border of that. And so we're part of a fellowship, and that fellowship actually has a president. And his name is Scott Mathis and his wife, Di, and he's here to share with us. And we haven't seen Scott since uh, 2018, and that's not, a, that's not a rebuke. Where have you been lately, brother? Um, but rather, it is, it is uh, a welcome to have him come back and share with us. And uh, we had the opportunity to, sh- to, con- to ha- host the Connect Conference here. So... I've been talking too long, but what I want you to know is, while it might be a different voice you're hearing today from the pulpit, it'll still be the same spirit, one of receiving the message of the Word with eagerness and grounded in the Word of God. So let's give a warm Berean welcome to our brother, Scott Mathis, this morning. It's great to be here today. Di and I live out on the road a lot. Uh, we go to a different Berean church every weekend, inspiring and influencing God's people, uh, helping local churches to uh, be on mission of seeing lost people come to faith alone in Christ alone, being born again, and becoming authentic disciples of Jesus. So in our travels, I have this just wholehearted desire that every one of our Berean churches be these healthy, life-giving congregations that uh, are really seeing disciples being made. And one of the key ways, I believe, that God uh, uses local churches to help uh, people come to faith and become true disciples of Jesus is how Christians learn to handle conflict. We live in a conflicted world. When Adam and Eve sinned, man, they messed us up. We'd have chose the same thing, but uh, it's easy to blame them. But, but I'm telling you how you and I as Christ ones can learn to handle conflict in a Christ-like manner. God uses that to reach lost people. And so every week I'm preaching the same sermon. My poor wife, she, she usually just takes a nap. Pray that she doesn't snore too loud because she's heard the same sermon every week. I'm preaching the same sermon at every church uh, this year because I believe it is vital 
that you and I grow up and out of the way, the unholy ways we've learned how to handle conflict. Most, again, most people uh, handle conflict by how they learned in their family of origin, what they learned on the playground at recess, how they learned it at, on, on sports teams, uh, how they learned it in their unique subcultural nuances. But that's not always the Christ way. And so researchers have found that, that despite um, uh, ethnicity, despite uh, nation, that most people have several, a, a one or two specific ways they are kind of become their go-to responses, unholy, by the way, of handling conflict. I've named them all with a letter beginning with F. They're on the top of your outline. Some people, when, when they encounter conflict, uh, their coping mechanism is some people, they just get ferocious. Have you ever dealt with somebody like this? And you have conflict with them, and they just get mad instantly. Cupboards get slammed, uh, yelling gets made, cussing gets made, tools fly across. They just get mad immediately. They get really ferocious. They have learned somehow to internalize, and they respond to conflict like their four-year-old self. And I'm going to throw a fit, and that's how I deal with conflict. And some of you are living with people who handle conflict in a ferocious manner, and it's miserable, isn't it? It's hard, isn't it? You're walking on eggshells all the time. I hope they don't go ferocious on me today. Another common conflict coping mechanism, and this is one of my preferred methods if I'm not walking in the Spirit, because I hate conflict. I hate it. I, I left home at age 14 to avoid some conflict, basically. Okay, I, I went cowboying on this huge ranch because I just needed to get away. And so a second common conflict coping mechanism is some people, when they encounter conflict, is just to flee. And, and some of you are, are that way, right? You, hit, you encounter conflict and you're like, no thanks. I don't need this in my life. I'm gone. I can guarantee you, I don't know, know this, but I can guarantee you there are people who used to be part of this fellowship here locally in Rochester, who had encountered conflict, their conflict coping mechanism is to flee, and they're like, I'm going to be godly, I'm just gone. They didn't ever deal with the real issue of why they left. They dreamed up maybe some excuse or something, but they just flee. Some of you are married and you can't physically flee, but emotionally you've just fled from your spouse years ago. And you're sitting here all nice and you look all good, but really there's no true connection anymore because you've just fled emotionally from your spouse. A third, third common conflict coping mechanism is some people just learn to be really good at faking it. Faking, you know? Again, where I'm, I live in Nebraska, and Minnesota's a lot the same. We call it Nebraska nice, you know? And, and Minnesotans, I think, are of a lot of that same subcultural uh, tendency. We just learn to fake it. Everything's fine. We keep up appearances, right? And we just go through. There's really huge amounts of conflict. I've had employees who I thought we were good, and come to find out they had enormous amounts of conflict with me, but they faked it in front of me, and I, they, I usually have the gift of discernment, but they were really good at faking it. They had just trained themselves. It's not worth the hassle of dealing with conflict. I'm just going to fake it. So some people get ferocious. Some people flee. Some people fake it. Um, some people 
and again, I'm sure none here at Berean Community Church in Rochester are this way, but some people, it's all your fault. Have you ever dealt with somebody? You have a conflict with them, and it, they ain't responsible at all, right? We'll talk more about this later, but it's all someone else's fault. Narcissists are famous for this. It's all someone else's fault, and they're just a victim. They're just a victim of all these people who mess up all the time. And they're pretty much perfect and innocent. And it's all someone else's fault. Again, an unholy response that people have internalized. This is how I handle conflict. I can't accept any blame. It's all someone else's fault. Another common response in responding to conflict is some people go frigid just frigid. They just put ice up around their emotional heart, right? They just go frigid. Some of you are just frigid today. Man, you, you used to come here and sing these awesome songs about the awesomeness of God, but, but, but your conflict coping mechanism is based not on the authority and, and awesomeness of the love and grace of Jesus. It's based on how you learned it in your family of origin or your woundedness. From, from someone being ferocious with you, and you're just frigid. You're just cold inside. You can't feel anything. And, 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 and I've prayed specifically for Jesus to transcend your self-justifications for some of these unholy responses, and you would encounter the living God. You see, I'm not playing games here. I'm not traveling around putting 100,000 miles a year on a vehicle. To, so I can earn a paycheck? You think I want to do this? I want to be on my horse. But I'm here because the Spirit of the living God rescued me in March of 1990 and transferred me from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. And I am assigned by God to come and you, I wanted every one of you, I've been on my knees begging that every one of you would have a personal encounter with the living God and you wouldn't self-justify your way out of this sermon. That the holiness of God would transcend your woundedness and the sins you do and the sins that have been done against you and you would see the glory and the power of Jesus Christ. And if you are frigid today or if you are a ferocious person, I want you to know that Jesus Christ is still in the business of transforming lives. And He got me here for a reason. And you are here on purpose because God got you here and wants to woo you with His love and holiness so that you can be empowered by the grace of Jesus Christ by the Spirit of the living God. Another common response, I didn't, that wasn't in any of my notes, but uh, another common response, the sixth most common way that people respond, uh, and they figured it out, and this would be a, my, my number two way, I, I flee, and if I can't flee, I just make fun. Okay? Uh, have you ever dealt with somebody who you have conflict with and they just want to make jokes? They just make fun of it. If I have conflict with you, if I can't just immediately flee, I'll just try to make some jokes, usually kind of in a self-deprecating or even critical way of you or the situation, and then flee. Right? Uh, some people, they just their, their methodology is, uh, it's too hard to deal with the conflict and get real and get honest. I'm just going to make fun. So those are several common conflict coping mechanisms. Well, um, I've learned through the years, and we have, Di and I have even had to work this week 
through some of this sermon. So we're not perfect. I'm not standing up here saying, I know it all, and you losers need to you know, um, uh, obey this. I'm saying that, that the gospel of Jesus, because of our faith in him, we are at peace with a God. So therefore, we can learn and grow out of our four-year-old response or our 10-year-old. Or again, some of you are responding to conflict like you're 15 years old still. And you're old now. God has a better way. And so as Jesus so often taught by asking questions, I ask 10 different questions when I'm dealing with conflict, not in legalistically way, but in a way that allows me to connect with the heart of God to say, how am I doing in my response to this conflict? So question number one, I've learned to ask, what percentage of this conflict is my fault? Like seriously. You and I, if we are truly born-again Christ ones, and Jesus is absolute truth, you and I have the power and the perspective to be able to say, wow, there's a percentage of this, this problem that I have with you that is my fault. Or you might have started it, but I responded with a tone and timing in my response that was unholy and it was ferocious. Or, I'm sorry, I just fled from you. I, the beauty of authentic Christianity is, is that we truly can get honest. And we can name our percentage of the conflict. Again, some of you have trained yourself to say, oh, it's mainly you. You're 99 and 44, 100% wrong. Right? Or, or early on in Di's marriage, Di and I's marriage, and we've had, we've had to work for everything in our marriage. I met her in a bar. Four days later, we moved in together. A few weeks after that, she gets pregnant. I'm like, get an abortion. I had no intention of ever marrying her. She wasn't my type. She wouldn't get an abortion, so I got drunk and said, let's get married. Boy, you talk about, isn't that romantic? Doesn't that just make your heart pitter-patter? Just what a beautiful start to a marriage, huh? We get married, we don't even know each other. And we fought. She's a leader. I'm a leader. We're both very strong personalities. She's a stuffer. I'm a fleer. Until you both get us in a corner and then we get pretty ferocious. And so I hate conflict. So we'd have conflict and Di deals with stuff, man. She will deal with it. And I want to flee. So I, my coping mechanism became, early on, was like, yeah, yeah, it's all my fault. I'll just die on my sword here. It's all my fault, was it? Well, die was like, yeah, it was most of the time. <laughs> but no, it wasn't always all my fault. But I learned to just say it because I wanted to keep a false peace. Because I hate conflict, I hate arguing, so okay, yeah, it's all my fault. Yeah, yeah. I'll. Did I really believe that? No. So then did I carry a grudge against her? Yes. It wasn't dealing with conflict in a Christ-centered way. It wasn't dealing in truth. Again, God's Word is so true. Proverbs 13.10, Pride leads to conflict. Those who take advice are wise. Are you willing to say, I own this percentage? I, I agree with you. And I'm even willing to see and talk this out. And you can help me understand that, yeah, I am pretty much all to blame in this conflict that we consistently have. Proverbs 14.9 says that fools make fun of guilt. 
Fools make fun of guilt. Some of you, in your response to conflict, just kind of make fun of it. Or, or mitigate it. Or, or justify your way out of it. You made me angry. You made me do this. No. Through Jesus, we can get real. Fools make fun of guilt, it says in Proverbs 14.9, but the godly acknowledge it and seek reconciliation. Which leads me to question number two. Am I attempting real reconciliation in this argument or am I just trying to win it? When you have a conflict and you are going to try to resolve it, is your motivation to prove the other person more wrong? Or is your motivation reconciliation? You see, so much of the time, even in Dionysus' marriage, I would lawyer myself up and I was going to win. Because I wanted to prove that she was a worse sinner than me. Right? She was more at fault than me. She was the one that was 99% more at fault. Do you realize how many churches split because they don't fight for reconciliation, they fight to try to prove each other as worse sinners than them? That they somehow are better than others? Think of the marriages that can be healed. Think of the singles that, that have conflict at work who fight for reconciliation instead of trying to prove their point or win an argument. How that changes the very fabric of life in Christ. It's amazing. And yet, Di and I see, often see marriages who've been married for years. And they're still, one's frigid, one's ferocious. They're still walking on eggshells. And they've never, they're still responding to conflict like their four-year-old or ten-year-old self. Instead of allowing Jesus to grow them up and out of their junk. And encounter His power and His strength and His grace in such a way that, that when they do have conflict Reconciliation happens. That's the holy passion of Jesus in your life. Fools have no interest in understanding, the Bible says in Proverbs 18.2. They only want to air their own opinions. Paul said it best in Ephesians 4.3, make every effort to keep yourselves united in the Spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. Are we attempting real reconciliation or are we just trying to win an argument? Question number three, ask yourself, train yourself. Okay, we're having a conflict, whether it's in the church, marriage, work-related, whatever. We're having a conflict. In five years, is this conflict really going to matter? Like, is it really that big a deal? Again, back to Di and I, early on in our marriage, and I was raised in ag, and I didn't, never did anything inside the house. I can still barely boil water. Ty's really happy that I finally, in the last couple of years, have learned to load the dishwasher. But I'm pretty helpless around the house, okay? But I read an article early on in our marriage that said if the husband helps around the house, it helps in every area of the marriage relationship. Man, I was all over that. She was off coaching volleyball. I cleaned the house. Yeah. I even did the dishes. And the laundry. Couldn't wait for Di to get home. Do you know the first thing she noticed? I folded the towels wrong. <laughs> the edges showed. And we got in the biggest fight over how to fold towels. 
Now, maybe, just maybe, we should have stopped and said, in five years, is this really that big a deal? Of course, some of you anal people are like, yes, it makes a big deal how you fold them towels. That's a divorce deal. Seriously, folks, maturity in Christ allows us to see that people come from different perspectives and they have different references. And it isn't something to die on. True, authentic intimacy with Christ allows us to be softer around the edges. Understanding that that people are going to do things differently than us and it's not worth an unholy conflict over. In five years, we're going to even not even be able to remember what we were fighting about, but we'll remember that we got mad. There's a better way in Jesus. The, the Bible teaches in Ephesians chapter 2 and elsewhere that you and I are, are, are on this completely different plane when we're born again in Christ, that we're seated in the heavenlies with Christ. In a spiritual level, you and I are seated with Jesus, and so that means you and I can have a bigger perspective. That we don't have to get our shorts in a wad about how to fold towels or how the dishwasher gets loaded or whatever. That you and I can be like, hmm, they do it different than me. Or that person posts stuff on Facebook that I disagree with, but I don't have to rip them. I don't have to get crit- I can be like, hmm, they're different than me. I'll pray for them, but I'm going to release them. And I don't... The- you see, we all want to be kings. We all want life, people to see things exactly like we see. We want people to do what we want. How's that working out for you? Doesn't work out very good. Friends, in five years, is this really going to matter? Question number four. Have I talked to God about this or just other people? Or passively aggressive, put something on Facebook or Instagram? So people have to guess. But seriously, so much of the time we encounter conflict and what do we do? Like husband and wife get in a fight, right? And wife, what's she do? Mom, they did it again. We got in the biggest fight. And what's mom? She can't help it. She's a mom. Oh, honey, you know I had questions about that man when you first started dating him. Never said this before, but... Right? Maybe, just maybe, that wife should have went to the throne of grace and said, God, this dude, I seem to have married a whacked dude, man. I don't know what I was thinking. Love is truly blind before marriage. God, will you help me gain a perspective into his heart and, and, and come and connect with your heart so I, we can resolve this conflict? The husband, in the same scenario, right? They get in the big fight, he goes into work the next day. Yeah, my old lady, she's Louise. We got in the biggest fight last week. She, I don't get her. She's just weird, you know? And you just it sets her off, you know? Must be that time of the month. And what are the buddies at work? Oh, yeah, my wife's the same way. Nothing gets resolved. Everything is still... That, that just fans the flame for a divorce and issues unhealthy conflict but what happens if that if that man would say oh god i come to you first god help me understand this woman who i love but she drives me crazy 
God, will you, will you give me grace and forgiveness to tenderly care for her heart so that we can... You see the difference in solving issues? So much of the time, how many church splits would not happen if the people would go to God first instead of talking to someone who they think will even subconsciously agree with them more? Friends, there's a better way in Jesus. Talk to God. Again, I mentioned earlier about Diane and I just starting all horribly wrong, right? One of the key things in Diane and I's marriage is we, even this morning, we prayed together. We talked to God. We stop and say, God, help us do life. Have we talked to God? Or do we just talk to other people about this conflict? Question number five. I know I'm racing through these. That's all right. You're Bereans. You're supposed to study all them passages together after I get done and see if what I said was true. Write Nathan if, you're, if you have issues. I don't have time. <laughs> if you want to call me a heretic, it's Nathan Brand at Rochester Community Berean Church or something like that. Question number five. Am I willing to use a godly mediator though? You know, there's sometimes, friends, we talk to God and we talk to God about our problems, and, and, but we just need somebody outside of ourselves. On a human, God has gifted some humans with an ability to give godly counsel that me, helps mediate the issue. So, you, you know, you can have issues and you, you just you talk to God, but you can't ever get over the hump. And so sometimes, are you willing to use a godly mediator? Again, God puts... Uh, unique people in every local con- uh, congregation with wisdom to help or in a local community. Um, and I would just, are you willing to do that? Again, it takes humility. And can I gently, gently, lovingly say, men, you men, especially you married men, I can't tell you the amount of numbers of men who their wives have come to die and I, and we are like, we have prayed and we can't get over this conflict, but my husband, he refuses to go to any counseling or get any godly mediation done here. Nope. Men, don't let your pride keep you from a godly marriage. Don't let your pride ruin your work relationships because you are, won't humble yourself. And I'm sure it translates to women too. But I, I just, you men are, are notorious. We men. I get it. I get it, man. I don't want to go to some whacked counselor who's going to, you know, you know, be all kind and stuff and how you feeling and all that. I just want to make jokes, you know, and then run away. But I'm grateful for the counselors that God has used in my life personally to help me grow up and grow out of some of this junk that I was carrying from my family of origin and my woundedness and the sins that had been done to me and the sins that I'd done to people. Proverbs 15.12 says, Mockers hate to be corrected, so they stay away from the wise. Are you a mocker? I don't need no mediator. I don't need no counseling. Mockers hate to be corrected, but they, so they stay away from the wise. Question number six, am I trying to be God or godly in this conflict? And what I mean by this is, again, in love... In grace, you don't make a very good God and neither do I. But sometimes in our interpersonal relationships, we want to be play God. You hurt me, I'm going to make you pay. I'm going to give you silent treatment for the next three days or week. I am not going to respond to you unless I absolutely have to because I'm God 
and you sinned against me, and I'm going to make you pay for your sin. Or I'm going to go off and get ferocious with you and get a tone in my voice that is demeaning and mean because I'm God, and I'm going to make you pay for your sin. How's that working out for you? I just know, for me, when I get to saying, I'm going to make someone pay for their sin because I'm basically going to act like God, it never ends well. Peace never comes. Friends, are you trying to be God or godly? You see, the, the difference of trying to say being godly is God poured His wrath for your sin and mine out on His only Son 2,000 years ago, and when we get to trying to make other people pay for their sin, we're trying to make them pay for something that Jesus already paid for. And being godly says, God, you have satisfied your righteous wrath for my sin and the sin done against me on your only son. I want to respond with your heart. As it says in, 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 in Romans chapter 12, that we must do everything we can to live in peace with everyone. That we are to never take revenge and leave that to the righteous anger of God. My friends, much of the time I know in my life, I'm like, well, God, if I release them to you, you're a little too patient. I can do this a little quicker. Just help, let me help you, God, okay? I think I might be a little better at making them pay for their sin. At least I, don't th I think I have this morbid, weird thing of, oh, this is going to help me. And it cancerizes me. And it cancerizes you. Seventh question. I know this is getting long. Another question, number seven. Am I recognizing that the devil desires disunity? You do recognize that Satan hates you, don't you? Right? If you're married, he wants to blow your marriage up. If you're single, he wants you to get so focused on your singleness that you think you'll never be happy. Satan has a plan to steal, kill, and destroy this church. He hates this church. There's life here. God's working in this church. I know you're messed up as a wooden watch because every church is. But seriously, God's working here. There's a neat spirit here. And there's tons of people within a two-mile radius if they died today, face a Christless eternity in hell. And they need a healthy, life-giving church filled with healthy, life-giving people who are growing out of their junk and being humble enough to let Jesus grow them and recognize that Satan is always trying to steal, kill, and destroy this church. And so much of the time when we have conflict, right, right the other person becomes the main problem. But Scripture teaches differently, doesn't it? That we don't fight it. I'm quoting from Ephesians 6. We don't fight against flesh and blood enemies. Yes, that person might be in being controlled by our enemy, but they ultimately aren't the true enemy. Satan and his minions are. Are you recognizing? So much of the time in, in Christendom, we forget how badly Satan hates us and wants to blow our families up and our local churches up and wants to keep us stuck in, in responding to conflict as our two-year-old self or our 12-year-old self. 
Question number eight, am I willing to see people's motives or perspectives? It's vital when we encounter conflict that we take the time to say, okay, where are they coming from? Maybe through their subcultural, nuanced way. Maybe from their family of origin. Years ago when I was pastoring in Mitchell, Nebraska, and the church grew fairly large for that context, and I didn't know everybody in the church, but I knew everybody's name. I tried to memorize everybody's name, and there was this couple, Dean and Jolaine, who started coming, and I knew their name, and I would stand out. We did multiple services. They always came to the 8 o'clock Sunday morning service. I would stand out and greet God's people every morning. I'd greet them, and, and, and... a few months into their coming to Mitchell Berean, they set up a time to meet with me. And so they come into their, my office, and I can tell they're a little tight, right? A little white-faced and just a little tight, you know? And I'm thinking, oh, yeah, here, another marriage issue, got to deal with, you know? And they sit down and they say, well, pastor, we just want to know if we've hurt your heart because we feel there's something that's come between us and and, and we just want to make it, get your perspective. I was shocked. Like I about fell out of my chair. I'm, I'm like, can I give you a hug? Because most people just get mad at me and go down to the church down the road and say how horrible I am of a pastor I am. And you're here attempting reconciliation? Like, wow. But I don't know you well enough to have issues with you. What's the issue? And they said, well, pastor, when, when, when we first started coming here, You'd see us come in, we'd get out of the car, you'd call us by name, you'd greet us so friendly and nice. Now when you see us coming, you turn on your heel and go into the building, and we just want to know, what have we done to hurt your heart? This is real Christianity in action, right here. These people, I've shared this story all over the world, literally. This is real Christianity. Well, what we figured out was they started being chronically late, I wasn't aware that they were even driving in. I'd hear the worship team start, and when you do multiple services, you've got to start on time and end on time. And I'd hear the worship team starting, and I'd go in. I wasn't even aware. And of course, when we're talking through this, where did my carnal mind go? You know, if you'd get your butt here on time, we wouldn't have, the, you haven't have this issue. But in the flow of the conversation, the husband says, yeah, my wife, she works all night down at the local Mitchell, uh, Mitchell nursing home. This is the only service we get to. We only have one car right now. I go and pick her up. She gets off at 8 and we race up here for the 8 o'clock service. And then we go serve her mom or his mom for a couple hours. And then I, I allow her to sleep. Where did my heart go? Come late. I can't believe the amazing effort you're making to come to corporate worship gathering. I love you. And, and, and this is awesome. You see, they wanted to see my perspective. Before they got their shorts in a wad and got all mad, they were like, let's help us, under, help us understand. That is true Christianity, my friends. And, and, and we figured it out. And, and God blessed that. My friends, are you willing to see that other people's motives or perspective might be different from you and that's okay? Before you hold a grudge, will you please hold a conversation in humility? It might be just a result of this misunderstanding. But too many times we carry the grudge because we haven't in humility had a proper conversation. 
Question number nine, the question that we have to ask ourselves at every, if we're a Christian at every corporate worship gathering, who's my authority today? Like seriously, who is your authority? Your eight-year-old self that you're stuck at emotionally and throwing fits? Your, your, your 12-year-old self that just flees every time there's a little conflict? Who's your authority? Is it Christ or the crowd? Is, is, is it the world or the Word? Is it Satan or the Savior? Is it your feelings? Or is it your faith in Jesus Christ? Who's your authority this morning? Friendship with the world makes you an enemy of God. The Bible says in James 4.4, 4, you and I are commanded to make, as it says in Colossians 3.13, make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Who's your authority Seriously, your encounter with the living God at this corporate worship gathering here at Rochester Berean is ultimately you deciding, God, you need to be my authority over my past, over my woundedness. You have to be my authority. And then question number 10, am I willing to accept God's grace? There's probably not a person listening to this. Well, well, maybe, I don't know. But very few of us can get through this sermon without thinking, whew, I don't respond to conflict in a Jesus way all the time. For some of you, you've been reminded of a conflict that you handled all wrong. For some of you, you've been reminded that you need to attempt reconciliation with someone. Some of you have been reminded that you're stuck at your eight-year-old way of responding or reacting to conflict. What are you going to do with that? I believe that you need to ask yourself, are you willing to accept God's grace today? I think Christians are some of the best forgetters of the gospel. Years ago when I'd been a pastor for six months, so I knew it all. Beware of pastors who've only been preaching for six months and think they know it all. Went to a family reunion from my family of origin. Again, you'll remember, I left home at age 14. There's some woundedness, right? We go to this family reunion. We're all gathered in this big room. Within the first two hours, a person in the family who had wounded several in the family, probably most all of us, said something that triggered me. And boy, I'm a preacher now. I straightened him out. What I said was true. It was true. I was right on, man. But just because it's true, if it's said in a tone that's prideful, and if the timing is wrong, it's sin. I blew it. What a way to ruin a family reunion. Within the first two hours, I spout off. By God's grace, I went to him, and I went to everybody in that room and apologized. But you all know, once the words are out, when the timing and tone is pride, 
you can't take them back. They can forgive, but there are consequences to forgiven sin, aren't they? Aren't there? For months afterwards, I beat on myself. How could you be so ignorant, Scott? And you're a preacher? I'd lay in bed just in agony. There was this, again, morbid fascination with somehow I felt like I needed to, you know, crawl through a case of broken beer bottles and beat myself with a lead-tipped whip or something. I just hated myself. Couldn't believe how dumb that move was. And I had an encounter with Jesus one night. And there's a mystery to all this, right? But my encounter with Jesus was like him saying, Scott, you're really good at believing grace for other people, but you really don't believe grace for yourself. Like still, today, if you came to me after the service and were like, man, I, I blew it this week. I handled conflict in a ferocious way or a, a fake way or a fleeing way or all of them on your, on your list. I've had people say that. I, every one of them, I do. I would be like, there's grace for that. I'm telling you that Jesus Christ paid for all your past, present, and future sin, and the gospel of Jesus says that you're forgiven. Yes, there are some consequences to the sin you've done, but I'm telling you there's grace for that. I am an expert at believing grace for you. For me? Somehow in my pride, and somehow in my woundedness, I have a hard time sometimes accepting grace. And so do some of you. I know I'm not alone. And so, in fact, some of you are stuck in unhealthy and unholy reactions to conflict because you won't accept the grace of Jesus Christ, of God pouring out His wrath for your sin on His only Son. And because of your stubborn refusal to revel in the grace Where Romans 5.21 says, where sin increased, grace increased all the more. Where sin increased, grace increased all the more. You're miserable. And you're stuck in these unholy, unhealthy patterns. But Jesus has a better way through His grace. And His Spirit, who raised Jesus bodily from the dead, can live in you and empower you no matter your age, no matter how stuck you are in in familiar patterns that are unholy in response to conflict, Jesus Christ can still transcend and work patiently pursuing your full heart and allow you to grow up to quit acting like a two-year-old and throwing yourself on the floor or giving someone the silent treatment. Are you willing to accept God's grace today? Are you, are you going to crawl through the broken glass of shame and guilt and, 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 and somehow try to pay for sin that Jesus already did? That's not the gospel. We're forgiven. Please accept grace today. Please see that the blood of Jesus hasn't covered over your sin of where you've blown it in handling conflict in ungodly ways even for the 10,000th time. It's erased. Your sin is erased through the blood of Jesus. Question number 11. This is a bonus question. No extra charge for this one. 
Am I willing to accept that some people just don't need to be a part of my everyday life? Now notice this is question 11 and not number one. (laughs) If you think everybody's the issue and I need to get everybody out of my life, you've got the issue. But friends, the, the reality is there are some people who are so wounded and so addicted to themselves and that woundedness that they are constant conflict and constant drama And therefore, there are sometimes people in your life who you have to set some boundaries up and say, I love you. We've attempted mediation. We've done all this. But I I need some boundaries. We're going to set some boundaries. Sometimes local churches have to do this with people. Sometimes individually, we have to do this with, hey, coworker, I love you. Pray for you. I've forgiven you. But here's the boundary. And sometimes we just have to do that for, with people and they can't be part of our everyday life because they are so dysfunctional that it ruins our intimacy with Christ. Again, I caution you, you know, if you're again thinking that everybody, you need to just go live on an island because everybody else is messed up, you're pretty messed up yourself too and you need to grow out of that. But sometimes we do. Again, Proverbs 22.10, throw out the mocker and fighting goes too. Quarrels and insults will disappear under the new covenant. I think we need to be really careful with that verse, but I do think there's a principle that allows you and I, based on Titus 3.10, that we warn unruly people first, second, third time, and then be like, we're done. And I think that has to happen, both individually and corporately as a local church. Well, How are you going to respond to this sermon? What are you going to do with this? Professionally self-justify? A life that continues in unholy and unhealthy responses to conflict? Or say, wow God, I need to grow up. I need you, Jesus, to to do a miracle of of life-transforming grace in my heart. So that even after years maybe of, of, of patterns of doing things that don't bring you glory, you can grow me up. Again, as so often has been said, victory in the Christian life is won through surrender. We're, we're, we're not up here saying, try hard, try harder. We're saying, surrender to the way and will of Christ. He empowers us. We're not saying follow ten rules here and that's the solution. No, it's the person and work of Jesus through His Spirit, through the living Word and His church that allows you and I to continue that, that God began this good work in us and He's going to continue to work in us. Surrender. Don't keep self-justifying your life. Don't be the professional justifier of your unholy and unhealthy responses to conflict coping. Respond to the Spirit's work in your life and surrender. Jesus, I thank You for this precious church. I pray that You would continue to grow them individually and then corporately in responding correctly and not reacting in unholy ways when they encounter conflict. And I pray, Lord, that then Your Spirit would miraculously and mysteriously 
but majestically use their growth to, to attract unsaved people who are trapped in conflict, coping ways that they have no power to get over. And they, they would see in this local congregation and the individually and then corporately that these people have a power and presence of you, Jesus, that they need and they would turn from sin and believe in you, Jesus, in your death and burial and resurrection. So God, do a miracle of grace in each one of our lives today. I thank you so much for this church. I love them so much. Help them know that they might be farther away from the majority of Brian churches, but they're just as loved and cared for. Thank you, Jesus. In your name I pray. Amen. Thanks, everybody.